in here this morning, we are wrapping up what has been a really long series, at least for me. I don't tend to do really, really long series, but uh, this has been a long one uh, on the commands of Jesus, uh, trying to learn what it looks like to be a, a true disciple of Jesus or something the Bible often calls a friend of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And uh, we want to be friends of Jesus, and so we want to obey those commands. And we've uh, been looking at, uh, I think, about 30 different commands over these uh, weeks that we've been in this series. Uh, Commands, again, that aren't intended just to make us smarter about the things that Jesus said, but actually put them into practice and, um, and, and be better followers of Jesus. This morning's message could kind of be seen as a part two to last week's message. Uh, last week, Brian uh, did a great job of, of teaching us what it means uh, to, to let our light shine in the community uh, where we live and, and learn and work and, and play, uh, just right here, close by, with our circle of, of influence. Um, This week, we're going to be looking at what it means to take that light, let our light shine into other places, places that are foreign to us. Um, This morning, we're looking at Jesus' command to take the gospel to the whole world or, uh, as the slide says there, to the nations. Before we do that, let me lead us in prayer. Lord, I I pray this morning that you would show us your heart. Show us your heart for the nations, your heart for people, and your plan to include us in reaching people with the good news of Jesus. We pray that you'd open our our eyes and ears and mostly, Lord, our, our minds and our hearts to understand what it is you have to say to us this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus' command to take the gospel to the whole world or or to the nations shows up in all four gospels and then again in the book of Acts. Um, Each gospel writer uh, captures it a little bit differently, but the command... Is, is essentially the same in, in all of those uh, books. And, and it's this. Don't keep the good news of God's kingdom to yourself. Let the whole world know. Let the whole world know about this good news. Good news that, that though we were once separated from God because of our rebellion against him, God has made a way to bring us back into his family and make us uh, restored as, as his children. So in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. The, the Greek word under the word nations there is ethnos, literally ethnicities uh, or people groups. Go make disciples of all people groups. In Mark 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke 24, Jesus said that the gospel would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Again, not political 
regions uh, or, or countries, but all ethnos, all people groups. And then in John's gospel, he, he says it differently than the other three, but uh, Jesus says there, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. We're being sent on mission. And I think it's important that we understand that uh, this, this wasn't a brand new um, concept that Jesus was imparting to his disciples when he said these things. Because in fact, from the very beginning, God's plan was to reach the whole world with the good news that he loved people and wanted to bless them. Look, look with me at Genesis chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is the very beginning of, of God establishing a people for himself. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country and your relatives and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse the ones who dishonor you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God's plan was always that his people would be a blessing to the world, which Just as an aside, we should ask ourselves, are we, as God's people, a blessing to the world? Do they see us that way? Many don't. I'll just say that. But that was God's plan, that we would be a blessing to the world, that that we would carry to the ends of the earth the good news about a God who loves all people and wants all people to know and love him. This is what uh, the reading from Psalm 67 that that Matt shared with us was was about. Uh, Verse 7 of that says, May God bless us so that the ends of the earth will give him the worship he deserves. God doesn't bless us just so that we would be blessed. It's not supposed to stop there. We're supposed to be a blessing to the world. And uh, implied here is that they come to believe in him and and worship him. So you see, Jesus wasn't announcing some new plan to reach the world. He was reiterating what God had been saying from the very beginning. In the Luke passage where Jesus tells his disciples to take the gospel to the whole world, Jesus points out to them that this is what the law, the prophets, and the Psalms had been saying all along. Look at Luke 24. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, all ethnos, beginning from Jerusalem. And then when we come to the very end of the Bible, we see it again. Revelation has that wonderful statement in chapter 7 that tells us that gathered around the throne will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping Jesus. So from Genesis to Revelation, this is, this is the theme of the Bible. 
I'm not trying to give you Bible verse whiplash here. Oh, here, here, and there. I'm just trying to show you this goes all the way through. Uh, Taking the gospel to the nations is at the heart of the Bible. Why? Because it's God's heart. It's God's heart. I want us to go back and, and look again at a verse that Brian shared with us last week. Uh, Acts 1.8. It's on page 874 in those Bibles that the ushers handed out. Jesus has been resurrected uh, from the dead. And just before he ascends to heaven, he leaves his disciples with these words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth. Now I want to look at a couple of important things in this verse, in this command, really, because it is a command. It's, it's imperative language. You will do this. Um, so that would be the first thing. It is a command. Secondly, uh, I want us to look at the word witness. Uh, Brian touched on this, but the word witness here was used in the first century much like it is uh, today. So one meaning would be like an eyewitness, someone who uh, had, had seen with their own eyes something happen. And in this case, what we're talking about is seen uh, the evidence of the, the risen and living Lord Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that, that, that they were an eyewitness to that. The other meaning uh, is to talk about what you saw, like one would give a testimony in a, in a courtroom. Uh, it carries with it the idea that what you are saying is a truthful account of what you saw. Okay? So that's, that's what witness means here. And in a narrow sense, there are probably less than a thousand people in all of the history of the world who qualify as an eyewitness to the risen Christ. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that over 500 people saw the risen Jesus at one time. Uh, There were some other appearances uh, during the the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. But probably not more than 1,000 people actually saw Jesus raised from the dead. So some of you might be going, ah, guess I'm off the hook on this one, right? I'm not technically a witness. I want to tell you, um, I have seen with my own eyes evidence of the risen and living Christ. He's alive, you guys, and he's still changing lives today. He's changed my life. I've seen him change other people's lives, make them into a different person than they were before. And there's no other explanation for it than that Jesus is alive. You ever seen that? No one? Oh, okay. Some of you. Others aren't sure. Have you seen a change in your own life or or was this just some sort of mental assent to, yes, I believe in God and I believe that there was this guy named Jesus. 
who died, and somehow that's supposed to forgive me of my sins. So yeah, I believe that. Um, That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the, the risen and living Christ coming to live inside of you and changing you. And if that's not what you've experienced, then actually you are off the hook this morning because you're not a Christian. Uh, I, I don't know what you've done in your brain on this, but it hasn't gotten down into your heart and into your life. So if that's you, you're off the hook on this one this morning. But if you have, if you've seen that, if you've experienced it firsthand, then I believe Jesus says to you today, you will be my witness. You will. Those whose lives have been changed by God are supposed to talk about that with other people. It's a command. The other thing that I want to point out, so that's, that's witness. The other thing that I want to point out in this verse is the scope of where Jesus said the gospel needs to go. Now, there's a lot of debate about what Jesus meant by Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Um, some say that it, that it talks about a progression, starting at home and then moving out sort of in concentric circles from there uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, that's, that's how I grew up, being told to understand uh, these, these words here that Jesus said. But it's interesting. There are others that point out that all of these disciples that Jesus was addressing when he said this, where were they from? Galilee. The only one of the disciples who wasn't was Judas, and, and he's gone at this point. They were all from Galilee. They weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't from Judea, Samaria. They were Galileans. A bunch of them were fishermen. Um, There would have been, of course, some shared trade language between them and the people that Jesus was telling them to go to. But clearly, uh, this is cross-cultural that Jesus is telling them to go and, and... talk about the good news of the gospel. Uh, All doubt on that is removed when Jesus caps it off with even to the ends of the earth. It's it's clear that what Jesus was calling these men to was cross-cultural evangelism. And cross-cultural evangelism is what we call missions. Okay? Um, Last week, Brian talked to us about evangelism that's, that's primarily within our own uh, culture, something we all should be doing. Uh, we, we uh, in that sphere that that we live and 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 work and and play in, uh, we are to be living the gospel and talking about the gospel, right? But this morning we're talking about evangelism that goes beyond our own culture. Now both of those things are critical. They're absolutely necessary. We're commanded to do both of them, but the scope of them is different. See, both of those are evangelism, but they're not both considered missions, at least 
in, in, the, in the way that we have historically used that word. So let me ask you, what, what might the ends of the earth look like for us today? What might it look like uh, to be commanded to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? First disciples didn't know much of anything that existed beyond their little corner of the world. Um, but that's not true for us today, is it? I mean, our world has, has been pretty thoroughly explored. We're pretty aware of who the different people are that, that live on earth and, and uh, what their cultures are and, and all of that. Um, does, does this mean that there aren't any more ends of the earth for us to go to? I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that. Is that, a, is that a command that isn't for us anymore because we know so much about our world? I want to suggest to you this morning that the ends of the earth for us means those people around the world who don't have access to the gospel. In missions circles, we call these unreached peoples. And I'm not talking about just people who aren't yet believers. Uh, We're talking about uh, people groups who have little or no access to the gospel. Let me share a few stats with you. There are about 7.9 billion people in the world today. Those 7.9 billion make over 17,000 people groups uh, defined by language and culture. Uh, 7,400 of those people groups, 7,400 of those people groups are considered unreached, meaning they have little or no access to the gospel. Those 7,400 people groups add up to about 3.2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. Let me ask you, how hard is it for an unbeliever in St. Helens to learn about Jesus? I mean, they've got dozens of churches they could choose from if they wanted to learn about God. Dozens of churches they could go to. They could turn on the TV and, and find dozens of religious television programs that would talk about it or radio programs that would talk about it. Most of them probably know a, a friend or, or two or three who profess to be Christians. That's not the case for over 3 billion people living in our world today. I'm pausing to let that number sink in. (laughs) There are almost 4,000 languages without a single verse of scripture translated into that language. This is why uh, some of the various Bible translation projects uh, that, that are out there are so important. It's why we support the work of translating the Jesus film into languages that in some cases don't even have a Bible in their language. 
but, but at least they can, they can watch this film and, and, and learn about Jesus. Friends, there are still billions upon billions of people in the world who don't have access to the gospel. The, the, the task of, of reaching the ends of the earth is a long, long way from being realized. We're making progress, but we got a long way to go. We've got a couple here this morning. Some of you have met them. I'm not going to name them uh, for security reasons here. But they're working in a region of South Asia that is home to, I think I've got this right now, 27 million Muslims. Now, they're working with one of the largest missions organizations in the world today. And they are the only family charged with reaching those 27 million Muslims. gone to the ends of the earth, they and their four kids. Can they accomplish this? Not on their own. It's too big. It's too big. But they can make a dent, and they're training others to do the same, and others, and on and on. And with God's power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses through the Holy Spirit's power, um, it can be done. It can be done. We're going to have an opportunity to hear from them a little later on. But Okay. Let's get practical here. How are we going to do this? I mean, it's obviously not realistic for each of us to go to the ends of the earth to take take the gospel to people who haven't heard, right? So how, how are we at Grace Baptist Church supposed to obey this command? Um, is it, it, does it really have to do with us? I believe so. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, corporately, we, we do this as a church through our missions committee who is, who's charged with stewarding uh, the financial resources that, that we give toward missions. That means that they, as a group, are primarily responsible for seeing that we as a church are engaged in cross-cultural evangelism, and they want to make sure that we're doing something uh, to, to take the gospel to unreached people groups, to the ends of the earth, right? And this is a charge they take very seriously, and, and they're trying to strategically steward the resources we give them. Uh, if you want to know more about how they're doing that, I encourage you to, to talk with Ray. He's the chairman of that committee. There are a bunch of other people here this morning who are on that committee. Um, exciting things are, are happening. So talk to them about what's going on. How are they stewarding the resources that we give them? But, you know, the fact that we have a missions committee who is really serious about doing this doesn't absolve the rest of us from being personally involved in this task, involved in responding to this command. And there are at least three things that I want to suggest that, that all of us should be considering 
um, at least considering uh, to, to personally engage in this command. The first is to pray. Pray for people who need to be a part of that great magnitude around the throne in the book of Revelation. And you can do that in a number of ways. I, let me just suggest two um, to you. Uh, Operation World is a book that was first published in 1964 uh, as a prayer guide uh, for Christians who want to pray in an informed way uh, for all the people groups around the world. Anyone familiar with that resource? A few of you. Great, great. Don't know if you know this. or not. It's been updated multiple times, but they also have an app that will just send you a reminder. Pray for this country today. Um, um, they have a, a, a version uh, for, especially for, for young families with, with small kill, uh, kids called Window on the World. Uh, maybe you want to get that resource and begin to teach your kids how to pray for the world. Give them a, a world view. Um, when, they, when they see something or hear something on the news, where is that? Well, let's look it up in Operation World and find out how we can pray for those people. So that, that would be one. Another one, and it's kind of hard to see on the slide here, uh, the Joshua Project has a, a daily prayer guide called Unreached People of the Day. And it focus, focuses specifically on an unreached people group each day. And you can go to their website and ask for an email to be sent uh, to remind you to pray for an unreached uh, people group. Uh, they also have an app. Uh, and and I, have, I have both of these now on my, on my phone. And it just gives me a little reminder. Hey, today, pray for this people group. Friday's focus was on Tibetans living in India. And, and the app tells you about the people, gives you a map of, of where they're located there, uh, some stats about the availability of the gospel and how you can uh, best pray for them. Okay, so there's, there's a couple uh, resources for how to pray for the people who need to hear the gospel. But when we pray, we need to pray not only for those people that need to hear, we need to pray for those who will go and tell them, Right? Matthew 9, we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were bewildered and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said this to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest-ready fields. You know, there's no shortage right now of, of people who need to hear the gospel, but there is a shortage of people who are willing to go. So if you can't go, and and many of you can't, you can pray. You can pray that God would raise up people who would go. Pray that God would send out people to go and, and take the good news to people who desperately need to hear it. So that's the first way. We can pray. Secondly, uh, we, can, we can personally participate in this by giving toward missions. You know, it costs money to send people to go. Uh, at Grace, we've, we've chosen to address this need through an offering we call Faith Promise. If you're new to Grace in the last couple of months, that might be a brand new term to you. 
Faith promise, real briefly, is, is an offering that's, that's based on uh, an offering that's described in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's an offering where by faith uh, you trust God for a, a specific amount that he lays on your heart, and then you promise to give that amount toward global missions. It's an amount that's above and beyond your, your tithe, and the total amount that is pledged makes up our missions budget for that next year. We need more people to participate in giving toward missions so that we can send more people to the ends of the earth, to those unreached peoples to hear about Jesus. I've, I've been participating uh, with, with Faith Promise for almost 40 years now. And I can tell you, I've, I've seen amazing things happen when people trust God and obey God when he says, I want you to trust me for this amount. And when they step into that, it's amazing what God does. And I think the reason that it happens so often is it's so close to the heart of God. So God says, well, God wouldn't say it this way. I was just about to say, heck yeah. God probably doesn't say heck yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I want to help you do that. This, this is what my heart is. I want to see people come to know me and love me. Yeah, I'll provide for that. Now, obviously not everyone uh, can do the third thing that I'm going to talk about. And that third thing is going. Not everyone can do that. Some of you struggle to get here on a Sunday morning. You know, you're not going to hop on a plane and go to some place that may not even have clean water, you know. But more of us could be involved in it than currently are. I'm convinced of that. So one of the things that we want to become more engaged with at Grace is uh, short-term missions projects, opportunities. In fact, next spring, uh, we're going to be sending a team to Acuna, Mexico for a week. Did I get that right? Okay. Um, I, here's what I hope. I hope that a whole bunch of you We'll sign up to go on that. You're going to be hearing more about it in the coming weeks. Uh, we'll give you more information about it. If you want to know more information today, see Danny Logan about it, and he can tell you about some of what's going to happen uh, with that opportunity. Here's what I know. Going on a short-term trip is dangerous because most people don't tend to just go on one. They'll go on another one and another one. And another one. And I've got so many friends who reluctantly went on a short term missions trip and now are serving full time in a in an unreached place. So be careful, but do it. It's it's good. First one I went on, my wife had to make me. I didn't want to go. I was a pastor and I didn't want to go. It's crazy, I know. And then I went on another one and another one and another one and another one, and it's been wonderful. So every single one of us can personally participate in obeying this command of Jesus. That's what I want you to to know this morning. All of us can at least be praying 
for the people that need to hear the gospel and those who will take the good news to them. Almost all of us in this room, I want to say, can personally participate in some way, even if it's small, but you could participate in some way in helping to fund the efforts of this church to see that the gospel is proclaimed to the end of the earth by giving toward faith promise. And many of us could personally participate by going to another culture to share the good news of Jesus with them. I want to close with a passage that has gripped my heart uh, for decades. Uh, many are, are familiar with Romans 10, 13. It's, it's one of those that, that we often memorize. And as soon as I say that, some of you are reciting in your mind, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? It's a wonderful, wonderful promise, wonderful verse. But then Paul asks four questions right after making that statement um, that are weighty, they're, they're convicting, and I think ought to be compelling. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never even heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? There's this wonderful promise followed by, and I hope you can feel it, the weight of these questions. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah and amen. But what good is that if no one ever goes to tell them? If they don't even know about him? I was I was reminded of this uh, on Monday. I was uh, out fishing with with Danny. We could see Saddle Mountain there in the distance. And uh, years ago, I hiked Saddle Mountain. I probably wouldn't do that today, but it was a clear day, and I I felt like I could see just forever. Of course, I couldn't, but I could I could see so far uh, in, in all directions. And, and as, I, as I looked out there, I, I just became impressed with not only the, the, the splendor of God's creation, but all of the, the wonderful ways that he has revealed himself to us. And I happened to have been in a study on the names of God found in Scripture at the time. And I began reflecting on how God had actually shown himself to me through many of those names. And I reflected on what an amazing God we have and how grateful I was that I knew him. And then I was struck with the realization that so many don't. They don't know him. It's not just that they don't believe in him. They've never heard about him. And so as I hiked down the mountain that afternoon, 
I wrote a song. Literally as I was walking down the mountain. It doesn't happen very often that way, but it did this time. And it was a song that I, I hoped would become the commitment of the church that I was a pastor at at the time. That, that after reflecting on how amazing God is, we would commit ourselves to telling others about him. I'm going to move over to the piano and I want to lead us in that song. And, and it's my hope, it's my prayer that this would become true of grace as well. We, we love to talk about how amazing God is, but sometimes I think we think we're blessed to be blessed. I've been blessed to be blessed. No, you haven't. You've been blessed to be a blessing to others. That's, that's the clear message all the way through the scriptures. Um, as we reflect on these names of God, I want to encourage you um, to grab on to one or two or more of them. Ways that he has revealed himself to you. Maybe that's provider. Maybe it's healer. Maybe it's father. Savior. There's a lot of them in here. Let that hit home with you and think about the people that haven't had the opportunity to know that God. What are we going to do about it?